podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Welcome to the WhoCast, the audio service of Who's Place. If last week was Selection Sunday, and today is Postmortem Sunday. This is Season 3, Episode 21. I'm your host, Val Prohaska, joined, as always, mostly because he's got the recording equipment, by Seattle Who, the founder of Who's Place. Deconstructing this loss and the end of this season is a messy business, but we're going to do it anyway. So welcome, Seattle. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I, honestly, truly, of course, I have to be here, as he said. So I was going to give <laughs> our other guys a hard time for not having the balls to, to come on with us. But I guess, you know, I guess if I didn't have to, maybe I wouldn't be here. And Val, I know from your response to my initial email, maybe if you didn't have to be here, you wouldn't be here either. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... um. You know, we're loyal Virginia fans, and we take the, the bad with the good, and we've taken some serious bad, but, you know, uh, I'm still happy to be a Virginia fan. This is better than it's ever been to be a Virginia fan, and, you know, these losses hurt more precisely because we are so good. Yeah, but, I, um, you know, this... We certainly, weren't on, we certainly weren't on Saturday, though. I agree with what somebody tweeted in response to a discussion that was going on where they said that Virginia really wasn't a four seed this year caliber team but the AC the NCAA selection committee felt obligated to give the ACC regular season champion a good seed and they said we were closer to an eight or nine seed and that that could very well be the case Um, this this team was game and you know like every Tony Bennett team the you know great guys who who fought and you know very conscientious and have a lot of skill and all that but this was a flawed team that stumbled its way to the regular season championship in a really bad ACC and it's a team that you know it unlike Tony's past teams it doesn't it it doesn't have a big pelt this team did not take down any top team like the the highest seeded team that we beat was a number seven, right? Every team we played that was seeded higher than seven, we lost to, and most of them pretty bad. So, you know, I agree with Bill Parcells. You are your record, and so you know that's you know that's this team in a in a normal ACC. This team wouldn't have, you know, would not have won the regular season championship. I, I really, I kind of liken this team to the 2016-17 team, but that was in a stronger ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, had you know a couple of really good teams at the top, and it was when we played the best teams that we saw our our real level was revealed to us because we clearly were not at the level of those teams, and. The talent level, like if you look at raw talent and skills, it was a very talented team and some very skilled players, but the makeup of the team, it wasn't as good as the raw talent level because it just it just had some serious gaps. And I'm going to be blunt, I, I think there were some poor strategic coaching decisions this year, and I was not, uh, you know... You remember I was pretty giddy after the Louisville game 
because of what I had seen in terms of adjustments in our way of attacking the defense. And, you know, that made me hopeful for the postseason. And then we come out and I, I wanted to confirm my impression. And I talked to Brian Geisinger on on Twitter and messages and, and he confirmed that, you know, we came out and we pretty much ran blocker mover the whole game. And we did a little bit of inside motion, but, you know, we didn't, we kind of left that attacking offense from the Louisville game behind. And so I thought the offense was very passive and we just didn't really have answers for things. And that team is not a very good defense and they defended us very well. And that brought to mind another one of my um, axioms about the NCAA tournament versus the regular season. And that is that in the NCAA tournament, bad defensive teams play good defense. In the NCAA uh-huh. tournament, pretty much everybody plays good defense because it's life well, or death. I don't know death. if it's necessarily – well, that's it. it. It is life or death. So I don't know if they're playing good defense, but everybody's engaged and everybody is leaving it out on the court because, because as, as you said, it's win or go home. Right, and so just like the NBA playoffs, you know, defense intensity ramps up. You know, and these teams, every team's gonna 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 play that. Yeah, and um, look, these guys, you know, it's like with some of the other teams that I scouted. Virginia, you know, Virginia Tech, I scouted, and Florida State, I scouted, and NC State, I scouted, and and I saw these mistakes that they made on defense on video, and and we saw none of those in our game. They did not make those mistakes in our game. And Ohio, you know, I I didn't scout them a lot and because I couldn't really find any full game video. Sure. You know, so I was stuck with condensed games and, and highlights and stuff. But, you know, I didn't see you know, I saw a, a a sound defensive team out there on the floor. Not this horrible you know, pretty bad two-point defense that, you know, that they had in their regular season. So, you know, if, you're, if your offense is based on the other team making mistakes and the other team playing bad defense, then your offense is going to struggle and your offense has to be based on beating good defense. And I thought we went back to our you know, let's run around in circles until the other team makes a mistake offense and the other team didn't make a mistake because it's the NCAA tournament. And that was a well-coached team. And so I, you know, I, and, you know, I got into it with people on, on Twitter because I was reading a lot of, well, we just didn't shoot well and because of the COVID pause and, you know, if we had, if we weren't for the COVID pause, we probably would have shot better and we would have won the game. And to me, that's an excuse. And that's glossing over the actual fundamental flaws of the team that we didn't do anything to cover for. That we, it was, I guess what I'm saying is we could have, we could have anticipated from the COVID pause that we would shoot poorly. People talked about it. So we should have come in with an offensive game plan that was based on not relying on hitting three-point shots. And instead, we shot the highest percentage of three-point shots against a man-to-man defense that we had done all season long. 
The only two games yeah, I mean, in which almost we, 50%, right? 51.7% I mean, of our shots were from of, three. Yeah. 51.7%. Yeah. The only two games in which we shot a higher percentage of threes were against Syracuse. So to come yeah. out in a game where you can anticipate you're not going to shoot well and put up more than half of your shots from the outside, that's not good offense. That's not good strategy. And you're doing it either because you're not focused or you weren't prepared to attack the rim or because the other team's not letting you. And again, that team had the second-to-worst two-point defense in the MAC. So you would think we should have been able to get into paint against that team, and we didn't. And so we have to either, one, look at ourselves for a lousy game plan and an and a unaggressive mindset, or we have to tip our hat to the other team and give credit to them for playing very good defense or some combination of both. We can't just say, oh, COVID pause. Oh, COVID pause. Oh, the poor Cavaliers. They, You know, you know what? Everybody's dealing with COVID. All the college teams are dealing with COVID and the disruption of their life. You know, this Ohio, they yeah. had a COVID pause and they came back and won five of the next six games. So it's like, yeah, they, they had a COVID pause. And we knew that was part of our analysis was that we were going to have a, a harder time because we didn't get the practice. Absolutely. But we needed to come in with an aggressive game, game plan. And we needed to come in intent on taking it to that team because they were going to be able to do things that were going to hurt us. We were going to struggle with their offense. It guaranteed we were going to struggle with their offense. Well, I'm of the belief, you know, that, that two things can be true. Um, I mean, the COVID thing definitely hurt. And, you know, we look sluggish. And, you know, we were a step slow all first half. And, you know, we finally started ramping up the intensity a little bit more in the second half. Um, so I, I understand, you know, COVID's affecting this thing. And while these guys won five out of six, most teams came back after COVID pauses and stunk up the joint. They just didn't have to stink up the joint in, you know, an NCAA tournament game. Um, now. Kansas was COVID paused and, you know, managed to win their first game. So everything's different, but I, I think it's a reasonable um, reason that, you know, contributed to our struggles, but you're right. You know, if, if you're, if the, if the threes aren't falling and it was pretty obvious, you know, that they weren't, I mean, we made our first three threes, right. To go up nine to three. And then yeah, we made. We I mean, I don't made, know if it was. We made five more out of our next twenty-five. Out of our next twenty-eight, mm -hmm. there's plenty of threes that weren't falling. And you're right. We had the ability to go in, and you know, Hauser didn't work the inside, you know, at all that game. You know, we worked on against Louisville, setting Murphy up, you know, on the left elbow mm -hmm. and letting him shoot. And you know, so we didn't have a really good plan B. Um, you know, this team has never, you know, Bennett's teams have never been pounded into the post guys. And I'm not sure that Kafaro or Huff, either of them have a low post game still somehow. No, the only low post game we have is, is Sam Hauser. And, and I don't really know why yeah. we didn't use it a lot more. We did, he did some, I mean, the damage that he did out there, he did posting up. Yeah. Well, 
But, but it wasn't much. It wasn't much. It was here and there. It's not like it was something that we focused on. You know, and yeah. it would just, no, we ran sides most of the game. Yeah. And that, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I okay. want to really, so, go ahead. Well, so would you see that as being Bennett, though, trying to say, I'm going to do something different? rather than, you know, play sort of a five out, which he's experimented with this season, with the, you know, doing something other than the triangle. You no, know, I think that was Tony saying looking, we didn't really get to practice this week, so I'm going to go to what's comfortable and familiar and conservative and, and you know, try to execute that. Okay, well, what would you have had him do? I would have had him say, look, let's play what we did against Louisville. Which was what? Um, How would you define the the Louisville game? That we attacked matchups. We got matchups that we won. Look, they could have def- they they like one thing that they could do, even though they couldn't practice together, was they could identify matchups that they wanted to attack because that's all scouting. So you scout the team and you find you figure out the matchups you want. And then just like you did with with Louisville, you say, all right, we're going to run. Look, we'll run this and we'll get we'll run this screen and we'll run this screen. And then, you know, everybody get the hell out of the way and let this guy work against this guy, which is basically what we did most of the game against Louisville. And it worked very well. And so and that's not something that you would really need to get together and practice a lot of scene because you just did it. So the guys have a fresh kind of muscle memory and and everything. And it's also, it doesn't really require a lot of team coordination because, you know, to get the matchups you want, you are running sides. You run sides like once or twice. So, you know, and you know, all right, I'm going to bring these two guys together. And then once you have the matchups, then you're, everybody's staying out of the way and you're basically letting a guy go one-on-one. Well, you don't, you don't really need to practice as a team to very much to do that. Especially when you just did it, so you know you worked on it, and I mean I, I would have done anything other than run sides. Come on, you know me. Anytime <laughs> Tony's running a lot of sides, I'm gonna bitch about it because the BM it's the BM offense, and it's what it stinks like. It gets constipated, <laughs> and. You know, that's the problem, one of the problems, he just, you know, again, you know, Brian, apparently, you know, we did, we got some good stuff off of ball screen action. We didn't do a whole lot of it. And, but again, you know, the few times that I saw, I I saw the way they were defending it and they were kind of, again, daring our guards to do something with the ball. So, uh, you know, I'll temper... there, I mean, therein lies the issue, you know, is that, um, you know, World of Tense, I played four minutes, um, you know, and Marcel played about 12, which left, you know, 30, 28, and I mean, that left 68 minutes to be split between, you know, Beekman and Clark. And, you know, neither of those guys are good enough shooters to 
to really be effective. Yeah, and look, but the, I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and say this now. The, the Thomas Oldetensai is benefiting from backup quarterback syndrome. It's sure. the backup quarterback phenomenon. He's the one you don't see, and so he's the one everybody wants because the starter isn't doing that great. Well, he's not starting for a reason. Thomas is a great guy, and yeah, he's a great shooter when he get can get his rhythm, but he's just – He's not a top cal top flight player, and he's gonna he has a hard time getting those shots against decent defense, and and there, look he he played limited minutes for a reason. I thought Casey Marcel showed, and I thought Reese Beekman at the end of the game he showed he showed up. It got to the point he kind of was like, "Screw this, you know, I'm taking over." and had a couple great moments. But I don't like I don't really want to bash on our players because I don't really think that's the story because I think our players are what they are. They're they're limited. Well, We're true. just limited in in the ability to attack the freaking basket. And I I I will happily hammer the coaches cuz I think, you know, for one they're they're grown men and and it's their job. But for another I, I just I feel a lot of times this season, and this game was one of them, where the offensive strategy just stank. And we're, we got the pants coached out of us. We got outcoached. And I would say one of the biggest, and, and forget COVID pause and can't practice as a team, because I'm going to point you to a season statistic that we saw play out in this game. Here is a season statistic. Virginia defensively all right here let me get the way all right there are 347 division one teams i guess there's 347 teams on synergy sports leaderboard here virginia was 329th in defense after timeouts that means 328 (laughs) teams did a better job than virginia at defending plays Coming out of a timeout. Teams scored .965 points per possession against us coming off of timeouts, which was significantly worse than than our overall half-court defense, which is only average this year right. on Synergy. Well, it was it was interesting, you know, because, you know, Doris Burks called it at least twice. You know, it's, so here's the timeout, and it, the ball's not going to go into, into Jason Preston's hands. So that that way he's going to be off ball. And, oh, and he scored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh, he made and, the pass. You know, yeah, she knew, she knew that twice coming out. You know, that, yeah. that you know the ball's not going to start in his hands. It's going to end in his hands. And it was like, yeah, we were surprised. So, look, so, and this is something that I noticed about half to two-thirds away through the season. I was like, wow, it seems like teams always score after a timeout against us. So I went right. and... And I found that Synergy actually tracks that. And so I looked, and and sure enough, the numbers bear it out. We stink or stank this year at defending after timeouts. And that's just... Right. And offensively, we were average, only average after timeouts, which is below where we usually are. We weren't very right. good after timeouts. and. And I, you know, this I want to point to this factor in the, in the game. The timeouts, Ohio's timeouts, 
were, to me, the deciding factor of this game. And I, I have some notes here, sure. and I'm going to work through this. In the first well, half... I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I completely agreed with that. I mean, I wasn't looking at it necessarily. But, you know, I wrote about that in the plus minus, you know, that, you know, other coaches seem to use their timeouts to get a bucket when they need one. And we seem to use a bucket to, we only use timeouts to stop runs and get a breath. But it, it doesn't seem like we use them well. And it seems like most games Bennett has a couple in pocket and just doesn't use them. And, I mean, I'm a soccer guy, so timeouts always seem kind of strange to me. Right. But if you have a timeout, it's a possibility for it to be a weapon. Yeah. And you have to be able to weaponize your timeouts. And we don't weaponize timeouts. And, and so when, you, when you're on a game on a margin and, you know, you, you had a, a, a three-point game, you know, with 14 seconds left, that's a margin. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of defend we, Bennett's use of timeouts here to the point that he had them to use at the end of the game when they were very sure. effective. And that's what you always say. And we for. needed them. Right. And we had them. And that was part of us almost coming back and stealing that game at the end because we were able to call the timeouts. And look, sure. he, the team did and... a great job at the end of the game almost stealing that. And that hats off to Bennett oh. and hats off to the players for that. All right. But what I want to sure. talk about with the timeouts is in the first half, 357 to go in a half. Trey hits a three. It's our second three in a row. 6 0 run. We go out in front 24 17. Close game. It's boom. Ohio calls timeout. They come in off the timeout. They get a layup right away. Next time down, they stop us. Next time down, they get an offensive rebound and score again. Four quick points. All of a sudden now, it's a three point game. They UVA didn't score until like two minutes left in the half. They outscored us 10 to 4 the rest of the half to go in at halftime, one down. So that's the first timeout. The second timeout, from 1655 to 1436, UVA won on a 6-0 run, again, to push a one-point lead up to 7, 38-31. Jeff Bowles calls timeout, all right? So 1436, he calls a timeout. We didn't score another point until there was 10 minutes left again. So we went over four minutes without scoring a point. We didn't score a field goal until 4.27 in the game. And if you're doing the math, that means we went 10 minutes without making a field goal. Yeah. All right? During that time, right after the timeout, they went on a 6 nothing run, made it a one-point game. But in the 10 minutes following that timeout, they outscored a 16-2 to to turn a seven-point deficit into a seven-point advantage. All right? So that's timeout number two. Then from 443 to 259, we recovered. We went on a 7-2 run, and we cut it to a two-point game, 47-49. to He calls timeout number three. They come out of the timeout. They get a lap right away. Now it's 51-47. Over the next one minute and 40 seconds, they outscored us 7-2 to two to go back up by 7, 56-49, with a minute 6 to go in the game. All right. Again, we get an offensive rebound 
and a conversion. We get a steal and a conversion. Now we've cut it to three quickly. He calls another timeout. This is timeout number four. They come out of a timeout. They're able to inbounds the ball, force us to foul them. They go down and they hit the free throws. So every time we made a move, their coach called a timeout and they turned the momentum on us. And I, I did the math on, on Twitter. We, like, we had runs of like 26 to 6. 20, I think 23 to 6. After the, and they called timeouts and their response was 36 to 8. So we would hit them. They'd call timeout. They'd go back to their corner. They'd regroup and they'd come out and they would hit us even harder. And that... For that, I, I'm forget the COVID pause. That is all credit to that other team. That mm -hmm. to me is a sign of great coaching. That guy coached a hell of a game, and that that to me was the main story of the game. Okay, I'll buy that. So it goes beyond, and it goes so, beyond just the play. You know, just the play after the timeout. It's well, sure. the flow of the game. They took control of the flow of the game. Like they went in and they regrouped and they took control of the game. Probably in a large part by going back to their game plan. And they did a great job of using their weapons. Jason Preston, based on who he had guarding him, he played it differently. And let's just say Ben Vanderplas, he just whipped Sam Hauser's ass. Especially in the second half. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you didn't know who was who, and you were watching that game, you would have sworn that Ben Vanderplas was Sam Hauser and vice versa because the guy in green was his whipping ass on the guy in white, I think. Mm -hmm. And not surprised because, look, we talked about it before the game. Vanderplas is exactly the kind of big man who's given who UVA has had no answer for this year. He's too hard for Huff to guard because he can shoot the three and he can drive and he can play the one off the other. And so, you know, that, that's just too much to ask for any seven-footer. And none of our other, you know, look, Justin might have been able to, to play him better. But look, man, Justin was bad in the post-defense post this year. He got a little better, but he was bad. Vanderplas, it would have been like, I don't know, man. Like Bobby Fisher playing chess against me or something, you know. Not quite that bad, but you know, a mismatch. We had no answer for guys like that and they took advantage of it. They did a really good job of that. They they knew our flaws and we you know. So I I not look, I don't feel that bad about the loss. I don't think it was a terrible loss because I don't think we were that much better than that team. Mm -hmm. I mean, we played Kent State and had to go to overtime to beat those guys. They kicked the shit out of Kent State right. in their conference tournament. We're a mediocre basketball team with great shooters in the front court. That's what we were this year. And the guys, I think they did well for what they are. They covered it. They won the ACC championship. You know, I, what I, one thing that I want to do that I'm going to do in offseason, this is what I was hinting at, is I want to take a look at this timeouts and the flow of the game thing i want to try to see if i can quantify you know how much of an issue was this 
how did how well did teams do against us after timeouts? Not just on that one possession, but in terms of like for maybe the next four minutes or the next five minutes. What happened after timeouts? Because um, I know like Florida State, if you remember that, we made that big comeback and oh, yeah. they called a timeout and they came out of a timeout and they just blew us out of out of the gym. Sure. Yeah. So how often did that happen? Is it something that was systematic or was it just something that happened a couple times and you remember it but i don't know if i'll be able to because it requires pouring over a lot of play-by-play sheets and if i can um, find a place to download all of our play-by-plays in the same format so that i can parse it with a program and (laughs) all that then i can do it if it's a matter of going through them manually i I just may not have the time but then again it may take as much time to write the parser as it would take to just manually go through them myself <laughs> so this might be a project that takes me a couple of months but it's definitely something that i want to do and the other thing i want to do is i just want to get it i get it out there my dissatisfaction with tony's offensive coaching this year that goes back to the preseason we've talked about it a couple times the the whole five out offense thing I, I just i i think that really I think we shot ourselves in the ass at the start of the season and it, you know, it just never got a chance to heal. And I really, really disappointed. My one real big disappointment in that game is that we just didn't, we just dropped the ball that we had picked up in the Louisville game. All the progress that we made in that Uh Louisville game, we just let it go. Cause I think we could have done something with that. We could have, you know, get Trey Murphy on somebody and on the elbow and go. You know, get get Sam Hauser isolated in that, you know, in that mid post. Get yeah. You know, get Kihei on Dwight Wilson in the middle of the floor and clear everybody out. Right. So, but we didn't do any of that, and that's what's disappointing. But we weren't going anywhere anyway. I, you know, and I do. I want to do some shout outs because I do. I I, I do. Look, I, I thought Reese Beekman showed showed out. I th- think he showed some good stuff for next year. He, the late part of the game, he kind of took over. Thought Casey Morsell balled out for a good part of that game. He was he was definitely part of the answer in that game more than he was part of the problem. So good for him on that. Uh, you know, Trey Murphy, without the shots that he hit, we would have been dead in the water. I thought he got victimized by one or two ridiculous foul calls um that kind of hampered him oh i know yeah i mean or his third foul when i don't know who it was who was driving on him i mean that was the merest of bumps you know yeah. it's like what the hell are you calling there <laughs> i mean i mean i don't know it's just it, it's you know and i shared the same philosophy you know you can't really complain too much about refs but we just we're constantly on the short end mm-hmm you know, and and it's not and it's it's not even debatable anymore. You just sort of have to scratch your head and go, why? I mean, I remember Murphy going up in Florida State, you know, when it was still close, and he attacked the baseline, and he was going, and I mean, he was just hammered all over the place. That was I mean, the worst. Was by two guys. That was the most egregious hack non-call yeah. I've seen in my life. Yeah, I mean it was just awful, and it's just it was just part of the course for us. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, I mean, it it's not just, as it's still not you know, as bad I as mean, what used to happen to Kyle Guy. Remember that one year, Kyle Guy mm-hmm. kept getting hit in the head and no foul. There was the one in the, yeah. against Clemson. He's got under the basket and he got he got smacked in the face so hard you could hear it on the TV, and they didn't call a foul. Yeah, but yeah, so, I, mean, and I, it's, I, I think I think part of it is you know that we have this reputation and it's right. well earned, you know, of being a finesse team mm-hmm. and, and avoiding contact. You know, finesse teams. Good and of and avoiding contact. When, like when we drive the hoop, we drive and we try to avoid contact and slither between the spaces, and and you know get the shot off around a guy. Or as other teams, I jump right into the guy's chest. Right. And I, I guess you're allowed to do that, you know. And yet our guys slither and yet get hammered, and it's never a call. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, part of this is again we have to know that this is going to happen. So. This is incumbent upon the coaching staff to figure out how do we get, you know, a more physical presence because we're losing this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's every single time, you know, that it, it's happening. And it's, you know, neither of us are blaming the rest for the loss. I mean, it, it was squarely on our guys. But it is, you know, when a game is played on the margin, you know, you get five ticky-tacky little fouls or you get hammered mm-hmm. that aren't coming and we're not getting it back our way. Yeah, the one game where I thought the refs actually affected the outcome was the Virginia Tech game. I, I really I really yeah. think they called that one. The way they refereed the second half of that game was absolutely determinative. It was night and day. Because they, yeah, they like, decided... Know, home, place, home place umpire being changed you know in the in the you know, after the seventh inning stretch and you got a whole new strike system yeah you know, they, whole new strike zone. <laughs> they completely completely took virginia's defense out of that game it was mm-hmm. like that one duke game a few years ago uh, it was the grayson allen travel game that was sure. a game in the second half they decided virginia was not allowed to play defense if we tried to play defense whenever when duke drove they called a foul it was the same kind of yeah. thing against Virginia Tech. If we tried to defend when they ran, when they drove, they called a foul. Meanwhile, on the other end, Virginia Tech was allowed to play defensive aggressively. So they allowed the referees in that game determined who was going to be the aggressor. And Virginia Tech, to their credit, gleefully took advantage of it. Took it, yeah. So you got to give them credit. And But anyway, so that's a digression. Yeah, Um, but it's 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 a small little sticking point. But you know, it's just it's just annoying. Yeah. Um, All the other things are just the you know the one the one off here and there that that bothers you. Um, In a couple games, I I thought Jay Huff got taken out of the game with ridiculously ticky tack stuff. In this game, I thought two of his fouls. I, I thought like what it. What are you supposed to do when when Dwight Wilson you know wraps his body around around your your waist? Right. You know what are you supposed to do? Yeah. I guess <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I don't know. You want to dance with him? You're like, yeah, yeah let's dance. You know, you know? <laughs> I knew Wilson was going to be. You know, we talked about Wilson a little bit. I knew he was going to be tough. He was a very efficient post scorer all year long. Big body. A lot of times those. Those big bodies, they're hard for the seven-footers. You know, Buck Williams used yeah. to really give Ralph Sampson a hard time. <laughs> or Wes Unseld against uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Those were always my favorite. 
Sterling West was maybe six foot six. You know, I mean, you just push him and push him and push him. You know, and and you know, if refs allow it, you know, if refs are going to allow that, you know, you got to take advantage of it. Um, you know, so a, a stronger physical presence, you know, would you know would be nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Huff is you know wondrously skilled, but he didn't have the you know the moxie of Amamadi Diakite, who could play physical. So, you know, Huff's always trying to avoid, you know, avoid contact because he gets called for all this little minor little stuff. Um, yeah, and he's got no he bulk. He, he doesn't physical... have, a, you know, he doesn't have a big butt. So he, he just, yeah, he, he gets, he gets knocked off his shot with contact. And he got better this yeah. year at it, but um, you could see it in yeah. that game. Well, what would it be like if he had Devin Hall's butt, you know? I know. <laughs> it's like, there's yeah, a big and, butt and I, I do, you know, Who knew how to use it? I'd like to take a little bit of time to address this idea that it was our worst shooting night of the year. We shot 44.8% from two, which was not good, but we shot lower than that three times, and that exact amount tw- one other time out of those four games, we won two of them. Uh, we shot 25.8% from three-point line, we shot worse than that three times, one, two of those. Um, no, there was not a game that we shot worse at both, but the North Carolina game was very close. We shot right around those and won that game. But what this was, as I said before, this was our highest three-point rate against a man-to-man team. And so it was the lowest overall shooting percentage of the season, but that's because we shot so many threes. Right. So, no, it wasn't just we had our worst shooting night of the year, and so we we lost. And we didn't have our worst shooting night of the year just because of the COVID pause. Yes, the COVID pause contributed. Yes, the inability to practice all week contributed. We said it would. We said it was going to be a harder game. We said it was worrisome that we weren't going to get to practice. Why? Because Ohio's a really good team who does a lot of really good things and has a couple of really good players who are were going to give us trouble because of the type of player that they were. So even if we got to practice all week, that was going to be a very difficult game. Right. Even if we got to practice all week, we very well could have lost that game. I mean, we didn't have COVID pauses well, that's in, very true. in you know any of our other NCAA tournaments, and we stunk up the joint in the first round most of the game pretty much every year (laughs) only this time we're a four seed so we were playing we weren't playing a 16 or a 15 that we would eventually nine times out of ten overcome we were playing what a I don't know I forget what seed we were a 13 who incidentally was very hot you know they right. they played out of their mind for three games in a row. Look, they didn't just win their conference tournament; they obliterated their conference tournament. They were beating those teams by twenty points. Right. So let's credit the the opposition and acknowledge the weaknesses of our team. Sure. And the other the other thing is 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 you know sometimes these struggles become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, after losing to UMBC, really, really, really struggling against Gardner-Webb, 
and now losing to Ohio, there's not going wherever we're seated next year, there's not going to be a team that's going to come in and quake in their boots. They're going to know, hey, this is Virginia, and they suck in the first round, and we yeah. have absolutely no reason to be afraid of them. Yeah, the and, year, you know, that's funny because the year after UMBC, I called it the UMBC effect. If you remember, every one of those cupcakes that we played early in the year, they came out on fire. Mm-hmm. Every one Absolutely. of those teams was like, why not us? Let's go. We can beat them too. Well, except for Marshall. Except for Marshall. <laughs> but, yeah. But it, you know, and, and, and that's, this is going to, this is what's going to happen to us. You know, and it was like um, South Carolina last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they had no fear, you know, and were yeah. the reigning champions. <laughs> like, whoa. Um, so, I mean, that was a, a huge sort of wake-up call for me, um, you know, last year. So, you know, I'm hoping somebody's paying attention and, and aware that nobody's going to be afraid of us next year, which is okay. You know, I mean, it's it's the luxury and curse of being a good team is that everybody's, everybody's gunning for mm-hmm. it. And, you know, I, I welcome that. <laughs> I want everybody's best. I want everybody's best game. I mean, I want us to play better so we win these games. But, you know, I want their best. I don't want to beat a sucky team. Mm-hmm. I want to beat a good team. And we just didn't, we just didn't do it. And it's, you know, it's frustrating. You know, this game gave me, I mean, my favorite sequence, you know, when we were pressing late, you know, that second Huff conversion. I mean, that was one hell of a steal by Beekman. Yeah, he's, um, that kid, but, man. I really, I mean, this is, I really want him to be, I really want Reese Beekman to be the man next year. I really want to see him as the starting point guard next year. I love Kihei, but I, I think Reese, he needs, he needs to be next year's floor general. And damn it all, I want Trevor Keels running next to him. Well, and I, it's nice. not going to happen. I don't think, you know, it's not going to happen. But man, that kid is exactly what we need. The way he attacks the basket. He's a bully. He plays bully ball and he attacks the basket. Keldon Johnson would have been, you know, great for us too. Of course, he, you know, but that, we really need that. And uh, that Beekman and Keels, man, what a backcourt that would be for us. Uh, you know, I love Tame Murray. I love what he's going to give us. But we just, We've gotten back. We've gotten back to being that jump shooting team. Well, I mean, we did that in spades. I mean, when your bigs yeah. are when your bigs are better from outside, then yeah, you're going to be a jump shooting team. Especially if your lead point guard's five foot eight, um, then you could get to the rim more often. But he can't. But struggles to finish. Um, you know, it. We were. You know, and I think I think that's why Bennett. You know, decided you know, sort of maybe the five out kind of came as a surprise to us, you know, because all of a sudden Murphy was eligible. And Bennett probably realized, look, I got, I got bigs who can shoot, so why should they be close? <laughs> I mean, and they all did shoot pretty well this season. Um, yeah, hey, know, look, I, I thought I thought the five out was a great idea. It's just I was flabbergasted at the, the – Version that he chose and involved screens. Didn't run ball screens off. I, I, it, yeah, I mean, and no screens, not even off ball screens. They just—it was just pure motion with we, no we, screens. We, 
I just I I couldn't believe th- we've talked about that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's just it seems just incomprehensible that you're you're running that without screens, and I don't know why. I mean, that's just the most basic. My high school would run the screen off of that thing, but somehow we're not. You know, yeah, you but, watch other teams run a five out, and they're running all kinds of screens and handoffs, and mm-hmm. it's just a, a fundamental of basketball offense: the screen. Yeah. And I just And we have guys who can do it. I don't know. It it, yeah. it, it, it was And then it he was, you know, and weird, then he puts you know? in he puts in those modifications for the Louisville game and we have a dynamic thing, we're attacking him and getting and everything and, and just don't see it again. I mean obviously you're not gonna see it against Syracuse because you know, they played a zone. It's totally well, it's zone, fine. Sure. So, you know, I I knew we weren't gonna see it Syracuse, but I just thought for sure we'd see it Coming back, you you know you're playing a team from a lower lower conference, and you know this is like you know, we didn't do it. We did. You know, I'll never forget when I went back and I rewatched UMBC to break it down. I realized that team, they knew, they knew coming in, we did not have a single player that they had to be afraid. Of beating them to the rack. There was nobody on our team that they were afraid could beat them one on one. Every single one of those guys knew he could defend his matchup. And so they pressured us and they pressed out just like Duke in the old days. Mm hmm. And it was unfortunate that Hunter got hurt because he would have been the one guy that they would have had to been afraid of. Sure. But say lovey. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as always, that worked out pretty well for us, you know. So Yeah. What what uh what promise do you hold out for next year? What's Man, I don't know. It's just, it really depends this, on. It really depends on who we add, and you know, do we lose anybody? I mean, I don't expect mm-hmm. any of the the three seniors to come back. So, you know, I think they're all going to be moving on. Um, you know, Hauser and Huff, obviously, and and Wolde Tensai. You know, frankly, it, um. So it's, you know, hopefully nobody, hopefully none of the underclassmen will leave. Hopefully they'll all come back. I think Justin McCoy has a lot of promise. I was very pleased with what I saw of him late in the season. I thought he started to come on strong, and I think he's got a a lot of growth. Uh, I look forward to seeing Caden Shedrick. Hopefully he'll stay healthy, you know, and because uh, you know that illness that he got, it really weakened him, and he wasn't able to work a lot, and so that's why he couldn't contribute at the end. But you know, early in the season, he gave us a lot, and he looked really good. Sure. And so I really look forward to seeing to seeing him next year. I think Shedrick and McCoy, lot of potential there to really um, give us some good, strong front court. You know, love the idea of having Trey Murphy back. I you know I hope we have him back. And I'm, you know, maybe he could maybe he could get drafted in the first round. 
And so, you know, maybe we won't see him back. Maybe he'll be in the NBA and maybe one of the Who's will be rooting for in the NBA next year, which would be great. It'd suck, but it'd be great. Um, But I think he probably will be back and I think it would be best. I think he's, I think he's one of the guys, just like, you know, if Hunter had left after his sophomore year, he might have been drafted late first round. Mm -hmm. But he came back and played his way into the lottery. And I think Trey Murphy's the same way. I think maybe he like maybe he might be a late first round, early second round pick who could land an NBA contract. But if he comes back, he could he could become a lottery pick like Hunter. So, you know, I I think I look forward to seeing that and I, I think you know, him and McCoy and, and Shedrick, you have a really great front court foundation. I like some of the stuff Beekman did late in the season. I like the way Casey balled out the other day, um, I, I you know Casey look he he still has a lot of potential. He still has the ability to have a complete game. So if he keeps working and he keeps learning. Um, and I you know I think he's a guy who could benefit from an offense that is predicated on getting some matchups because he's got. He's got the ability to, to, you know, to do some things with the ball off the dribble, off the bounce, um, and he is one, he's he is one guy who at least tries to attack the rim. True, true, he does. So, you know, those guys, I I love what what Tane Murray brings. I'm not sure he'll be ready in his first year, but you know, he's down there playing with the pros in New Zealand, so he might be a little bit ahead of himself, uh, and then. We're probably going to add someone. We're probably going to add a couple of players. There were, we're going after a lot of transfers. Uh, apparently, C.J. Felder of Boston College has entered, has entered the transfer portal, and it's reported that Virginia's shown him interest. And apparently, the first time around in his recruitment, there was a lot of mutual interest. And I love his game. I, I really like his game. I think he'd be a fantastic addition. Uh, he's only like six six, but when you watch him play out there, you think he's like six nine or six ten. It's like whenever mm-hmm. I look at this at the stats and see his height, I'm shocked that he's only six six because the dude plays big. He plays long right. and he's really aggressive and really active. Has a great motor. Um, I think he would like him and McCoy would really have bring bring a lot of energy out onto that floor, along with Shedrick and you know Murphy was the one guy who who came out and showed some real high energy late in the season. You know, so I, I think those guys you could really see see us with some athletic dudes flying around the floor on the front court, which would be very different from this year. And then uh, you know, if we can get another guard like that and so there's so much is up in the air. There's a good foundation. There's a really good foundation. And I love what I've seen of, of uh McKeeley. Uh Isaac, right? Man, drawing a blank. Yeah, There's, Isaac. yeah, Isaac squared because we're trying to get that other Isaac whose last name Isaac I'm drawing. Trout, a blank. Yeah, huh? Trout. Trout. Yes, Trout, thank you. Right. Uh, I love what I've seen of um, Isaac McNeil. I think he's he looks like he's got that that attitude that you know spitting your eye on his way up for the jump shot and then come down and pat you on the head after the ball drops through the net and then go down on the other end and <laughs> you know get down in his stance. Well, you know, that's, and, you know, I don't watch recruiting videos. I don't watch highlight reels, but that's what everybody says about him. You know, in terms of in terms of people who who do care. 
Yeah. That, yeah, he's got the he, he's got the fight in him. Yeah, he's and, he's big time, and you know, of course, he's only you know he's, that's the following he's year away though. So yeah, 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 he's he's another year away. Um, you know, hey, look, you know, there's Jabri Abdurrahim and, and Carson McCorkle, who you know, who obviously weren't ready this year, but you know, Abdurrahim was he was our highest rated recruit. He's got a tremendous yep. you know mid range game, and there's a lot a lot there. I, you know, I hear he had a lot to learn this year. He was—he really needed to improve a lot. Um, but, you know, right. look, man, he's going to put in the work. And McCorkle, that shot is golden. So, you know, there's those guys that... Sure I need that. Yeah, you know, those guys, a lot of potential there. And, okay. look, Tony and the staff, you know, the Jay Willie might get a job. But... um you know they they'll reflect and they'll break this down and and you know they'll have a plan for next year. So and uh, we here at whose place will be uh, you know <laughs> trying to feed on every single nugget of wisdom we find. Um, we are we still have uh, coming up this on these podcasts. We still are going to do an end of season review. Mm-hmm. You know, overlooking the the entire thing. Um, we will have, uh, recruiting updates. I mean, with this, you know, basically we have a one year free transfer rule, right? I mean, everybody can transfer, you know, and not have to sit out. Yeah. So it is going to be the wild west out there, which I think is great. I think players should be able to have complete freedom of movement all the time. I mean, coaches can move. I think players ought to be able to move. So this is going to be. Yeah, I mean, coaches can sort of move. They're they're still constrained by contract. Well, they are. Yeah, but yes. Look, if a guy is under contract, if a guy is under contract and he wants to leave, you got to buy him out. You got to buy out his contract. Okay, well, so they can do that. You know, I mean, but yeah, no, but you know, and and, I agree. I he he walked away. Anyway, they're like um, other. Look, it's other college the, students. Go ahead. Other college students, they leave. You know, they transfer. Something like one third of all college students transfer. A lot don't finish at the school that they started. So you know, whatever. And yeah. and the you know the the scholarship. It's a year by year thing anyway. They're not getting a four year scholarship. They get a one year right. scholarship four times. So the school's not obligated to give them that scholarship again next year. Right. So they shouldn't be obligated to stay to, you know, to give their labor to that school for another year. So it's like, look, man, you know, when I was, when I was coaching youth soccer, you knew at the end of every year, you had to try to keep your players together for the following year. And you were going to lose some and you were going to get new ones. Huh? Yeah, that's why I got out of travel soccer. I was tired of just having to re-recruit. The yeah, players same, here, same here. You know, and it's like I'm tired of this. So I now coach. Um, I now coach the local middle school girls team. And it's like they come to me. I don't have to recruit. You know, they're either in this school or they're not. I had a team that broke my heart because they we were a U nine team, and they were so good. That they're so good. One kid, his father was in the navy, got transferred, and then like. One kid went to play lacrosse, and then half the rest of them, the parents, they just didn't want to do travel, so they they played rec. Oh. 
it's hard. Yeah, it's it just sucks to see uh, players leave and yeah. and not come back. But but that's the way it is, you know. Yeah. So you you get who you got and you coach them up and you go out and play. Yeah. So we here at Who's Place will be with you every step of the way. You know, every addition, every subtraction. You know. Seattle and I are, are not hoping there's any subtractions. There's never been a player at UVA on the hoops that I wanted to leave or I was ready to be done with. Um, you know, I loved all four years of Isaiah Wilkins. I loved all mm. five years of Jack Salt. You know, I don't want to see anybody leave. So, Well, there were some guys um, I didn't mind like seeing you, leave. I have nobody leave. Like, well, when those three guys left at the end after 2016-17, I was Darius not... And, uh, Thompson and well, you know. Shayok and Reuter, I did not mourn any of those guys. It was that was okay, it was I a win win. It was either, good for them. It was good for leave. us. I wasn't I wasn't hoping like oh my god. I no, 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 else, no, you know, but, no, not not like that. But when they I decided to go, I, I was perfectly content to have them yeah. go. Because I knew, so, I, I knew the, I knew the guys that were staying were capable of winning a better. national championship. Yeah, you know, they left because of Hunter and, Jared, and, and we were never going to win one with Jared Reuter playing serious minutes. You know, no. so, <laughs> we 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 all knew that. <laughs> so we here at Who's Place will be right along with the ride with you. Thanks for listening. I know this was a, a hard episode. It was a hard episode for us, but. Um, you know, we're Wahoo fans, and we'll be the Wahoo fans even after games like this. Yeah, I I had fun tonight, and I'm really over it. I just – it sucks losing in the first round, but hats off to the other team. And I, I think our guys – like, like they went – they played hard. They did their best, and they just – there's just some things that we didn't have that you need to win in a tournament. Look, teams that te- – teams that have to – Shoot well from three to beat good teams. Do not go deep in the NCAA tournament. And that's what we were. We had to shoot well from three to beat good teams. And teams like that do not go deep in the tournament. Look at our three-point shooting percentages from 2018-19. Go back and look them up. We did not shoot our way to the NCAA championship. And so you and I talked about it a few weeks ago when it finally sunk in, what kind of team we were. We were not going to go deep. So I had, right. I came into this tournament not having any investment in going deep in this tournament. And when I saw the matchup and I got started looking at the teams that were in our little sub-regional and the guards that we were going to go up against and – Vanderplas and I know how these types of players have fared against us all year. Yeah. Look, I didn't think we were going to get out of the weekend. I even said it. You did. You did. So it's not a shock to me. I'm not disappointed. A little disappointed with some of the coaching, but, you know, I don't care what anybody says. Oh, you think you know more than Tony Bennett? Fuck that. But I know, you know, Tony Bennett's not above a little constructive criticism, and he'll take it like a man. Not that he's going to hear this, but if he did, well, you know, Terry, Terry Holland used to always tell this story about the time that he was waiting in an ele- waiting in an elevator, and some guy came up to him and was critiquing him rather harshly, <laughs> and you know, Holland t- looked at him and said, "What do you do?" 
And I said, well, I'm a surgeon. And, you know, Holland said, well, does anybody criticize what you do? Do you think I know more about, you know, surgery than you do? And, you know, he sort of shut the guy up. But, you know, you and I spend a lot of time watching basketball. We read basketball. We're capable of learning. We're capable of knowing stuff, too. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I've coached 30 years. I've never reached Bennett's height, so I'm not saying that I know anything. I know more than Bennett. But that doesn't mean that those of us who spend a lot of time looking at this team don't know things that maybe, you know, it would be nice if Bennett knew. You think <laughs> surgeons don't get criticized? By non-surgeons? <laughs> Look, man, Don't lawyers, know. politicians, oh. surgeons. Sure. Teachers, everybody. Teachers, sure. everybody. Look, in every other area, Americans completely reject the idea that you don't criticize experts. Right. That only an expert can criticize another expert. But yet, with coaches, who have one of the least important jobs in the entire economy... I mean, let's let's be real here. Let's face it. Sure, it's a game. Winning games is about the least important thing that anybody does in our economy. So, but those guys are above criticism unless unless you know you're a coach too. Right. You take that approach with your health. You're gonna uncritically <laughs> accept everything your doctor says. There would be a lot more dead nope. people if if people took that approach. Look, my. My partner's father would be dead if she took that approach with with his doctors when he got sick. Right. You know, but she pushed and pushed and pushed and he got care that he wouldn't have gotten. So, and look, and, and like I said in the response here, if Tony Bennett would sit down with me, I would happily say all this to his face. And he would take it a hell of a lot better than Wahoo fans take it. He wouldn't tell me to shut up. I have no standing to criticize him because I'm not a coach. He would sit there and he would listen. And he would respond intelligently and respectfully. And we would have a dialogue. Right. And I would come away from that learning a hell of a lot. Yeah, sure. All right? But anyway. We've been running long. We're going to sign off now. So, All right. Uh... Wahoo off, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah, wahoo off. See y'all later, everybody.